to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and chapter 1. Exodus and chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 6 to 12 this morning. That's our key passage. So I'd like you to turn there. I'm going to get myself comfortable. I think we'll just make this really like home. Uh, Daniel's going to fix the, the view for us a little bit here. And uh, what you can't see is my legs are very short. So often uh, my legs are just dangling by the side. My wife has a good chuckle, my daughters as well, and so we try and find ways around it. So this table is one of them, but my feet is about like a foot off the ground. But uh, we're going to make it work for us today. So praise God, Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 to 12. So follow with me in your Bibles, and make it a point to take notes. Make it a point to also highlight verses. You can do that with your smart devices if you're not on a web browser, but if you have an app, you can actually highlight, but I really want to encourage you to take some notes today. And uh, let's read together. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous. I, I really like that word. They multiplied greatly. If that's something that you want, say it out loud. Multiply greatly. Amen. If I can hear it out there. In fact, I just want you to post it in there. Post your amens to me so I know you're with me. I'm going to check this later. And became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out... Will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. I want you to highlight that in your Bible. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. I want to tell you right now, some of you have enemies in your life, some of you have haters in your life, and the more they oppress you according to the Word of God, keep the faith, keep righteous, be noble in your actions, because the Bible says that you'll multiply more, that you'll spread greatly, and that your enemy will come to dread you. If there's an amen out there, I want you to post it for me, okay? Amen. That means I agree with you. It's a Hebrew word. It's always amazing seeing the resilience of people through difficult circumstances and how often these difficult circumstances bring people together. And it brings out the best in people. We saw that in the 2011 floods, and we're seeing it right now. And I love the fact that we've got people in our community that are signing up now. Papa told me, uh, John Sinisa, that people are signing up to Live City Care saying, I would like to volunteer, I would like to deliver some meals. And for some people, they're donating. But can I encourage you, if you're not already doing so, give up one Saturday, give up a Tuesday, whatever morning that you have free, and you, and you message Live City Care, or if you're our friends and family, I want you to message Bapa, John Sinisa, and you let, the, let him know that you're available, and tell him when you're available to help, but we have this opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And I realize 
that some will continue to see the glass half empty, perhaps for good reason. You've lost your job. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Landlords are stretched. You might have property and you're not allowed to ask for the rent from those who are renting from you. Some of you who are renting, you know, this is a relief for you. You've got no job to be able to pay these things. For others, your business is going under. For some, you have to sell your car just to be able to pay the bills and break even. And I understand the loss that you're feeling. I truly do. And we do what we do in order to survive. I read this Facebook post yesterday, which has undoubtedly been posted many times already, but it serves to remind us the good that has been happening during these difficult circumstances. Have a think about this. In the situation right now, traffic has gone. Fuel is affordable. Can I hear a shout out for that? Bills are extended. Kids are at home with their families. Parents are home taking care of their children. I'm homeschooling my boy, my older girl. She takes care of herself, but it's really great to do that. I don't think this will be repeated again. A lot of these things won't be repeated for a very, very long time, maybe a hundred years, probably not in our lifetime. Fast food is replaced with home cooked meals, say some people. Yeah. We're still every once in a while trying to support the community and do so as well. Hectic schedules are replaced by naps, rest, and relaxation. The air seems cleaner, the world quieter, and people are conscious about hygiene and health. Money doesn't make the world go around anymore. I was just saying to my wife yesterday, wow, our savings are starting to increase. Praise the Lord. All the husbands say, amen. Designer clothing is pointless as nobody ever really needs it, needed it in the first place. They can't see you wearing it anyway. Doctors and nurses are being praised as the heroes and recognized instead of athletes and celebrities. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's some real champions out there that normally don't get recognition. How about the teachers out there that still have to go and teach the kids of those who are essential workers? They often don't get the praise they deserve. And we now have time, finally, to stop and smell the roses. I love that particular post and it means so much. I want to challenge you with this thought that this situation that we're in right now is not going to be repeated again. But your grandchildren and your, your great-grandchildren are going to ask you and are going to ask your children about these times right now. And are you going to tell them, oh, it was crushing, it was so bad, we had nothing to go with, and we barely survived? Or will you tell them a different story? You say, yeah, you know, it was a different circumstance. We couldn't go away on holidays, so we camped out in the backyard. We learned to cook something. We learned to make something in the garage, my son and I. We learned to do something. I taught my kid how to play soccer and to play it well. What are you going to be able to tell your grandchildren? It was the same thing at the time when, when Neil Armstrong and the others went on the moon and actually landed on the moon. You know, and I, I was just a tiny little kid. I had no idea. So I had to ask my parents, what was it like at that time when you're watching and you were glued to the TV, watching it live as man stepped onto the moon for the first time? Yes, I know some of you are saying it was probably hoax. I don't know. The fact is, we were that well, not me. I was too young. I was a baby at the time, a newborn baby. But so many people saw that incident and were wondering, where were you when it happened? 
And people are going to ask you that. Your great-grandchildren are going to ask you, where were you at this time? And what kind of story are you going to tell? This morning, I want to share a message with you. And if you're taking notes, it's called Multiplying in Adversity. Multiplying in Adversity. So have a little bit of context for a moment. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 to 42. There were uh, about 40 people thereabouts, and the most extraordinary thing began to happen. So actually the Bible tells us, no, not 40, Genesis 46, 27, and Exodus 1, 5 tells us that they started with 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt, 70 in all, including Joseph and his wife, and their two boys. So think about this for a moment. They started with 70, and in the, and uh, it was 430 years when they from the time they arrived to the time they left, and I did a rough calculation, 430 divided by 30 equals approximately 14 generations. 14 generations. So in 14 generations from the time with 70 people, it blew out to 1.2 million people. That's based on around 600,000 600, men, plus their wives and children that left Egypt. So 1.2 million people, let's do some calculations, divided by 14 generations. That means that every generation grew by about 85,714. So think about this for a moment, some of you in large families. So you're going to have to have a lot, 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 lots of kids to be able to have that many people. So they started with 70, but they needed to have at least 85,714 a year to make this formula work out so that they had 1.2 million people. So that's an average 238 people per tribe per year for 430 years. If we're ever to see uh, that kind of increase... You better get busy, you know, with the COVID children and start expanding 238 people per year. Wow. So today, I want to talk to you about how to multiply in the face of adversity. When things get tough, how can we triumph when we've already lost and hope is gone? And how can we gain the victory when life seems to be beating us down? Now, some of you, you can take this to be the COVID lockdown. For others, it's, it's the fact that you've lost your jobs. For some of you, it was situations that happened before COVID. You've lost your children. You don't even have your children living with you. And perhaps you're by yourself. You lost your wife. You lost your family. You lost your husband. I don't know what your situation is. Many people I know are losing their jobs and they're struggling to pay their bills and to try and break even. And this message will hopefully resound in your spirit. So today I want to give you uh, five principles on how to multiply despite adversity. But I think I'll just get through the first point today and I'll finish this message next week. So get your notes ready. So here's the first key point and we're going to center on this one today. Sometimes, and this is going to be a hard one to take, sometimes God will place us in difficult situations and circumstances for our purposes. That's a crazy one. God will put you and allow you to be in a difficult circumstance and in a difficult situation for your good, for your benefit. It is not to try and make you cry. It's not to try and try and beat you up. For no other reason than this, that sometimes he will do that for a reason for your good and not for evil. Sure, it may, it may seem better not to be in the circumstance that God puts you in. 
But there's always a reason behind this divine providence. Just think about this. The COVID virus could have happened to any other generation at any other time, but it happened to happen in our time, in our day. It's one that we will be able to talk about and recount and tell stories. I want to encourage you to be, make sure that you are journaling and reflecting during this time of the COVID virus. Maybe take some notes down, even if it's one paragraph a day. Tell people and tell your great-grandchildren what happened during these times because it's going to baffle them to think, what did you do when you were locked down? What did you guys do for church? What did you do for work? And what did you do for school? And for those of you who are school-aged, school-aged kids, I also want you to write down, maybe this is your essay for school. What did you do and what was it like in your family during the lockdown? Because it's going to pass very quickly. But no matter what the situation you're in, I want to tell you that God is in the middle of it all. And God has organized the situation, organized. He knew that you were ready for this. You were ready for your trouble, not just COVID-19. I mean, whatever trouble you were in before you got into it or you're facing now, God knew that you would be facing the situation and he's going to use this for your good and not for evil. In Psalm 46, verse 1 to 3, the sons of Korah write this. They say the statement, and it is like an anchor for our soul. Listen to this. Verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. In modern-day English, is basically saying that when you're in trouble, He's always there, always in the times that you're struggling. Verse 2 says, therefore, so because we know he's a refuge, we can hide under him for protection. We know that he's strong enough to look after us and beat down our enemies. He's always there. So because of that, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. And then they have this word here, Selah. That word means to stop, reflect, and think. I can tell you this much when I'm thinking. I hate going through difficult patches. I, it's painful. I want to avoid it at all costs. Only recently I was praying to the Lord. I mean, this is literally recently. God, I haven't had a break, it seems like, for a while now. Like, I've had patches in my life where things are good. I mean, it is good and it's so wonderful. But in the greater scheme of things, there are things in my life that it feels like it is relentless. It is wave after wave. And just when you think you're clawing for air and taking a deep breath, another wave pounds you down. If you can feel what I'm feeling, I want you to reply to me in that chat. Let me know. Pastor, I know what you're feeling. I get it. And when it comes to trouble, no one can out-complain Job in the Bible. Job, who went through hell, losing everything. I mean everything. He lost his children, his own kids. He lost his considerable property. Now, zone in on this. According to the Bible, Job was the richest man in the land. The richest man. He lost everything. He lost his kids and finally, he lost his wealth. But what started the whole thing? That's what I find really interesting. In Job chapter 1, just write this down. Uh, just write this down. Job chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. There's a dialogue that happens, and, and this really blows my mind, between Satan and God, who appears 
when all the angels appear and have to give an accounting for what they were doing with their time. Did you know that? Angels have to come and give an accounting for what they did with their time and how they served you and how they served the Lord. Even the devil, and I know this, this is sort of a crazy kind of stuff. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought Satan was cast out of heaven and he can never appear before God again. Well, I, I thought so, but according to the book of Job, which was, according to chronology, was the first, uh, first book that was written in the Bible before Genesis to Exodus was written by Moses. Job was there before Moses, and he wrote this. So just think about this for a moment. If you were thinking that Satan is so big and God is so big and it's, it's Titan against Titan, you've got it wrong. That devil that has been hounding you is just an angel, a fallen angel. God made him. God can take him out with a snap if he wants, but he doesn't. Why? Because it's for your benefit and for my benefit. Sometimes I think, God, you love me too much. Can you just keep him away for a season? <laughs> Anyone say amen? You understand what I'm talking about? Thank you so much in this room. The Lord said to Satan in this dialogue, Job, Job chapter 1 verse 7, where have you come from? So don't think for a moment that Satan is all powerful on the side. God is, no, no. He's cap in hand. He's got to answer to God when he's asked a question. Where have you come from? And Satan, like a little kid, has to answer God. From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm thinking to myself, if God had not mentioned the name Job, Job would not have undergone any struggles. Would not have had to go through the things and the losses that he experienced, the grief. Imagine losing your kids. I can't imagine such a thing. The grief that he would be feeling. But it all began because God said, hey, have you thought about Job? There's, and, and, you know, God continues to brag on him. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and he is upright, a man who fears me and shuns evil. And then Satan replies, he waits for God to finish. Remember, he's got to wait his turn. He's cap in hand. Then he says, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, have you not put a hedge around him, a hedge of protection if you're wondering? And you put a hedge of protection around his household? And you put a hedge of protection around everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. You protect him, so that's of course he worships you. And that's when everything went to hell. <laughs> because then God decides, you know what? I'm just going to show the devil something. I'm going to show him that Job is such a righteous man. I'm going to show him that, that Job loves me so much that no matter what trouble is thrown at him, no matter how much he loses, he truly, genuinely loves me. And some of you are thinking, is that why I'm in this trouble, in, in, in this situation? Is this why this hell is breaking loose in my life? Well, sometimes it's a hell of your own making. But other times, when you love God, you know, because we ask this question, why would good things happen? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it sometimes happens that way. Because God has a purpose in it for you. There's something that He wants to do. Either He wants to show off how much you love Him, and He's going to prove a point to the enemy. Or He just wants you to grow stronger through the circumstance. Because we find out later, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to cut to the chase. At the end of the story, it wasn't just a restoration of a relationship between Job and God. But the Bible tells us God doubled everything he had. So he was the richest man in the, in the land when he started the story. And God doubled 
what he had at the end of the story. I mean, this guy was ridiculously rich by the end of it all. So I want to tell you, it ends well, okay? There's a good story on the other side, but you must endure that temptation. You must endure that circumstance. You must endure that hell that you're going through right now. The devil had been all around the world looking for people, and when it came time, oh, oh it's time, I'm going to go give a report to the boss. He has to appear before God and give his report. And had God not mentioned it, none of this would have happened. But here's the thing that happens. It is through difficulty, it is through adversity that God can bless you and prosper you and increase you. It's a bit like a test, okay? During the, time, during the year, when you're in school, and those of you that are in school, the teacher has to give you an assessment task because it's there to show and demonstrate that you are ready for the next level. That's what tests are for. Tests aren't there to show you. I used to think as a kid, taking a test, the tests are there for the teacher to figure out how stupid I really am. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying? But no, that's not why the tests are given. The tests are given so that the teachers are able to test what you know and promote you to the next level because God can't take you to the next level if you can't handle this level. Someone's got to quote that one right now. God can't take you to the next level if you are not looking after this level right now well. You have to administer. You have to manage this level well before God can take you to the next level. So don't be praying and asking God to take you to the next level because it will crush you. It will totally destroy you. You're not ready for it. Oh man, I know, right? I found out some new prayers, by the way, because I did that one time. I said, oh God, whatever it takes, take me to the next level. God, whatever you need to do, do it in me. And then hell broke loose. I mean, it was like years. I'm like, God, I'm crying, God, why are you doing this to me? And God says, later on when I'm silent and actually listening, he says, because you asked me to take you to the next level. <coughs> so to go to the next level, you have to undergo tests. And these are the trials we go through. But God thought, all of us in this generation, we are ready for this big test of COVID. For those of you that lost your job, God knows you're capable of, of handling this. For those of you that lost your spouse or lost your loved one, God knows you're capable of handling this. You don't know the strength within yourself, within yourself. You think, I can't do this. I can't keep going on. So let me give you three key sub-points under this one main point. I'll preach the rest of this next week, okay? Grab hold of these three key points. Number one. Okay, under part A, God disciplines those he loves. I know, Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12. If God does not discipline us, listen to these words, then he doesn't love us. <laughs> I'm just going to read it again. I know, I'm provoking you, I'm sorry. I'm going to provoke you into love and good deeds. If God does not discipline you, let's make this personal, bring it to me. If God doesn't discipline you, then he doesn't love you. He has to discipline you to show you that he loves you. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. God, can you love me just a little bit less? If God doesn't put us through trials, then we can never grow. It's a tough one to understand. It's a tough one to embrace. But if you get this, it will get, bring such peace to your life. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, and the other apostles were able to say words to this extent. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through all kinds of trials and tribulations. Why? Because it eventually produces character and maturity. It produces and brings out the best in you. You will explode in growth during this hard season. Praise God for hard seasons. 
Can I hear an amen out there? Some of you are just struggling to type the letters right now. A, where's that M? I don't want to do this. And you're struggling. Do I hit the E? And the, do I hit sin? Hit the sin. God disciplines those he loves. If he doesn't love you, he wouldn't put you through the hard situation you're in right now. Wow. Here's the second key thing I want you to get today. God disciplines his children like any good father. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 5 to 11, I'll do the cut-down version. It says this, My son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. And He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. He loves you so much. He's telling you, I'm doing these things because I'm calling you my son. I'm calling you my daughter. I know what's inside of you. I know what you're capable of. Even though you don't know what's in there, I'm going to call out the gold in you because I need to put the fire in your life to take away that, that dr and to dredge that rotten stuff out of your life. I need to remove the impurities to call out the gold inside your life because you don't even know what you're worth. You don't even know the value that I see in you. And other people may not recognize you, but I'm telling you today that I see the value. That's what God's saying today. Wow. That's a tough word, but it's true. Verse 7 continues to say, endure hardship as a discipline. In other words, God doesn't want you just to get through one and hey, it's over. Hey, you passed the test. Well done. There's no other grades after this. You don't have to keep ascending. There's no other levels. No, I'm going to tell you, for the rest of your life, there's level after level after level. Let me tell you, as you get older and, and, uh, and more mature, I hope I am, and you hear the troubles that some of the younger ones go through, you know, I, it's everything that we need to do. I know some of you older, mature Christians, you know what I'm talking about. It's everything we've got within us not to roll our eyes and say, oh, please. Because you've got to understand they're in that situation. They're not in the level you're at. So don't judge them, okay? Be gentle and love them through it, okay? Don't roll your eyes. Just say, God loves you, you know? Or uh, what the Americans say, I grew up with this one. Oh, bless your heart. In case you're wondering, when an American says that, they're saying the same thing like, you know, hey, Billy fell down and broke his head. Oh, bless his heart. They're basically saying, you're an idiot. God bless your heart. <laughs> oh, God bless you. All right, let me keep going. I'm getting the stairs from my wife. Actually, she's not just looking down. Praise God. Good. Endure hardship as a discipline. It has to be part of your life. And you become stronger at it. You know what I started to do? I'm going to hold myself accountable. I saw this video on Facebook yesterday. But this guy is doing 300 push-ups a day. No, Bapa. I'm not doing 300 push-ups a day. But I'm going to try and do 40 a day. I'm going to build up the 60. But I'm going to do it daily. Have I done that today yet? No. But I'm getting there. You can hold me accountable. Wow. God is treating you as sons. That's why. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you really love your kids, you have to discipline them. That's how you show love. Okay? You love them in other ways. I agree. But one of the ways that we demonstrate love is actually through hardship. And this is the thing. Oh, but with a good God. Put us through such difficult circumstances. Why does God allow bad things happen to good people? Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Because He calls you a son. Because He calls you a daughter. And because of that, He must do it. Jump to verse 10. God disciplines us for our good. Not for our evil. For our good. 
that we may share in His holiness. Do you know that the hardships and the trials are bringing out the holiness inside of you? It's bringing out the good inside of you, the impurities, those moments. Because let me tell you, when things are easy, it's easy to worship God. When things are good, it's easy to give God praise and to be a good Christian. It's easy to be a good Christian when things are good, but when things are tough, that's when you know the real Christian inside of someone. Are they really a follower of Jesus? Put them through some hardship, and you'll know right away if they truly love Jesus. Oh yeah, I know I went there. Man, 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 man. God considered Israel his firstborn son while they were in Egypt. In Exodus 4, 22 to 23, uh, God instructs Moses, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Man, God loves you so much, he will protect you. He will allow you to go through that hardship and trouble for a purpose. But let me tell you, if, if the devil tries to step in, any haters try to step in that he did not allow, man. I would not want to stand close to that man or that woman of God if they try and harm you. My goodness, stay away from them. Okay, the last and final point for today. Trials, and I alluded to this earlier. Trials are to be considered pure joy. If you want to know what joy really is, it's through trials. Again, like we said, when a happiness is a state of being, okay? You are, it's a way of being affected through the circumstances and the situations around you. I'm happy because of the <laughs> circumstances. So, you know, some people are unfair in their relationships. If he would do the right thing, then I'll be happy. If she would do the right thing, then I would be happy in this marriage. No, 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 no. You don't deserve that. It's not about that. God didn't call you to be happy. God called you to be joyful. God called you and commanded you to love. Not to be happy. Happy is a byproduct of when we do the things we're supposed to do, when we truly love each other. James, a brother of Jesus, said it this way in verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay? The moment you're in a trial, the Bible's telling you, consider it joy. Instantly. Why? It goes on to explain. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. There's no other way to develop perseverance but through hardship. And if you get perseverance and the pressure is still on, it's going to develop even more. It gets better. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you consider yourselves to be mature Christians. But at the first hint of trouble, the first sign of difficulty and hardship, you try and run the other way. How you know it's true. I've seen them leave churches multiple times. I've been, been you know 20 years a Christian, but they'll hop from church to church because hardship came that way. Someone offended you. Look, I get it. People will offend you, but the Bible also says it is a glory of man to overlook an offense. Stay where God planted you and learn to work through the hardship. Learn to work through the difficulty because that is where maturity comes. I love this one statement. It's not mine. Mike Bickle once said this. He says, uh, God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. 
If you're being offended by a brother or a sister, if you're being offended with life, if something is causing you all upset, it's very, very important for you to sit back and begin to reflect. Calm down, breathe, count to 10, and then start to ask yourself this question. Why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why can't I let this go? Because therein lies your secret to maturity. That is the key to take you to the next level. Well, that's all that we have for today. I'll continue this message next week, and I hope that you will tune in. We're going to make this message available to you on our YouTube channel, so make sure you tune in. But just for a minute, I want to talk to those who are brand new. You're, you're not, you can't really say that you're a Christian yet. You haven't really followed Jesus. Now, you might have even gone to church, but you never said that prayer where you absolutely, totally committed your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. Perhaps as I'm speaking and as I'm sharing, you've recognized that there's something that's really missing in your heart. You truly, you, you know that was you. You're offended by people. You get upset so easily. Well, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to consider it as joy. Right now, it might be time to change the way that you're thinking. And that is, that is the word repent, to change the way that you're thinking. So I want you to join with me in this prayer. And I want you to say this prayer with me. Okay, I'm going to lead you. I want you to say it in your heart and mean it. If you can say it out loud in your house, I really want to encourage you to do so. Because when we pray, we're really meant to say it out loud. So repeat this prayer with me in your home. This is, might be the first time that you have understood the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you. He's very real. And He knows you and He created you with a purpose and a plan. It's the most wonderful thing. I'm, I, I was talking today, because you're wondering, how do I know? that this is God. I was talking today as I was sharing, there were goosebumps on you and there was this strange feeling in the pity of your stomach, butterflies in your stomach. You know, something is different about you today. That's the Holy Spirit starting to call you. This is the first step on, 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 for many steps, but this is going to be a tremendous step for you today. So come and join me with this prayer today if I'm talking to you, okay? For everyone else, just hold on for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know you well enough right now but I want to change that. I want to know you. And I can't understand this love that you have for me. It's crazy. Because your Bible says, your word says, for the wages of sin is death. I've done my fair share of sin. I've stuffed it up. Sin is when I don't do the things that you asked me to do. And when I do the things you told me not to do. It's sin. I've done it over and over. But your word says that Jesus died on the cross for all my sins. For all time. And I'm already forgiven before I said this prayer. But I want to say it right now. Jesus, forgive me. Wash away my sins. Remove my guilt. Take it away from me. I can't hold it anymore. And fill me with your spirit. You died for me. And now I will live for you. Amen. If you said that prayer for the very first time, congratulations and welcome to the family. We are so proud of you. And it's a wonderful thing that you did. It's fantastic. But don't stop there. It's very, very important that you email me straight away. Please email yes at livecitychurch.com. We pronounce it livecitychurch.com. Yes at livecitychurch.com. 
because I want to follow you up. I've actually started a new Christians class because we've had many people respond saying we want to do this and I want to include you today. So please email me today. Email me straight away. Yes, at Live City Church, I just need your email address, your phone number and just your name so we know who you are so that we can get in contact today. And for others right now, I want to pray for you. You might, you might be going through a terrible situation, and I hope that I haven't made light of your situation. I'm not at all. I've gone through many, many difficult circumstances, so I truly feel what you're feeling right now. And I want to pray for you. So if that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand in your home right now, because I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that you hear our prayers, and we know, Lord God, that you're seeing every hand that's raised. You see them right now in their homes. You see them right now. Some will be listening to this in their cars. Father, I pray right now that you would reveal your glory. I pray that you reveal your love for them right now. I pray that this very moment they'll feel the presence of God in their home. That they'll feel the presence of God in their car. Wherever they're hearing this message, they're going to feel it right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, come right now. Double it in the name of Jesus. Let your presence overwhelm them, I pray. And Father, I, I ask that you would release joy upon them in the name of Jesus. Release joy. You said consider it pure joy. Sometimes we just need to feel it once again. So I'm asking, Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with joy right now. For those that are watching, those that are listening, fill them with joy. Father God, that they begin to dream once again. And I pray that this message would bear fruit in their heart. That they would not give up hope, but from this moment, they'll rise up again stronger, Lord God, ready for their promotion. For we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, yeah. amen, amen. I hope that you will communicate with us, talk to us. If you would like more information about our church, email us, info at livecitychurch.com. Please make sure to check out our other videos and have a look at our YouTube channel. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week.